Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. So what do you do when your faith is evolving, changing, growing, or deconstructing, and you're in leadership? Well, Jonathan Martin explores these vulnerable topics with Pastor Robbie McLaughlin, and you can find more from Robbie at his blog, www.robbymaclive.com. We hope you enjoy this conversation today. Super, super excited that um, that you decided to jump on here. Hope you're having an amazing week. Pastor Robbie here uh, with an unbelievable friend and just all around human being. This is Jonathan Martin, uh, hailing from Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm super, super excited to have him join me for a conversation that I've been wanting to have for uh, quite some time. And I wanted to bring you guys in on the journey and allow you to be a part of that conversation as well. Jonathan doesn't need a whole lot of introduction other than to say that um, he's a self-proclaimed um, hillbilly mystic. Uh, he prides himself on getting kicked out of Christian universities and uh, and loves being friends with everybody. I tell people all the time that Jonathan trips me out because whenever I jump on social media, I see him hanging out with a different crowd or different group of people, and none of those groups of people have anything in common this is true. Um, from the outset. And so uh, so I'm, I'm super, super excited um, to have a guy that I know uh, will be my friend no matter who mm. I become friends with. That's so, absolutely true. <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming and spending some time. Uh, with me today and having a conversation. Um, really, really briefly, uh, I, I want to kind of pose this question that has been burning in me, and I'm sure it's burning in a lot of church leaders, and I feel like that um, you might have a lot more insight just based on um, circumstance and life and experience and kind of what you've seen and who you've walked with along the way. Um, but the question is really uh, a simple one, and it's this. You know, one of the things that's big in um, Christian culture right now has, has been this idea of a deconstructing faith or an evolving faith. Yeah. Um, you know, basically taking the things that you were handed mm-hmm. um, by your uh, by your parents or by your grandparents or by whoever it was that you looked up to in the faith early on, and then really deconstructing those ideas, deconstructing those thoughts, and, um, and then reconstructing your own faith mm-hmm. and allowing those things to become your own beliefs, really taking ownership of mm-hmm. your faith. And what I've told people for a long time is that the idea of an evolving faith or a deconstructing faith and then reconstructing it as your own um, is really no more than the idea, the old age uh, idea of sanctification. Mm-hmm. It's really growing in your faith, allowing your faith to become your own and allowing the Holy Spirit to become um, the one who develops you rather than allowing just your experiences yeah. and uh, and understandings from growing up to develop you. And so the question that I want to spend some time talking about uh, this morning is just this idea of sanctification, deconstructing uh, faith, evolving faith. How does that manifest itself and what comes with that? when you're doing it as someone in the spotlight, mm-hmm. when you're doing it as somebody who finds themselves carrying the banner of influence or leading yeah. somebody else. And I ask for this reason because um, for anybody, not just church leaders, but for anybody in the business world or for anybody that has a, a large sphere of influence, mm-hmm. um, people have heard you say certain things. Mm-hmm. They've heard you stand by certain things. They've right. heard you make public statements and declarations. But then they've also heard you say, but I'm growing in my faith. Um, And so there's a good chance that somewhere along the way, something that you said is Mm -hmm. not something that you will say. Mm -hmm. 
the problem that really lies within that that idea is the fact that people who have followed you up until this point may no longer follow you yeah. anymore because now what you have taught them to believe you no longer believe or maybe what you've taught them was valuable or important you no longer find valuable or important because right. you see something else yeah. as valuable or important and so talk to me just for a minute about what it looks like to be someone in the spotlight and walking through the process of deconstruction such a great question. First of all, thanks for having me. You are my friend, and I, it's an honor to get to do this with you. Um, Absolutely. And I love this. Yeah, these are things I'm thinking about all the time these days, and I feel like I have conversations about all the time these days. Um, I mean, I think I would start by saying, uh, and I know we, we kind of talked about leaders in different spheres of influence, but I think particularly for people who are church leaders or have any kind of you know, Christian leadership, I think like in the story of Scripture, the reason that that the reason to follow anybody, whether this is Abraham or Moses or Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." The idea always is it's dynamic, it's fluid. It's about following the God of the Exodus, who's always on the move. Absolutely. It's about following the Spirit, and I think, like ultimately, you know, anybody who's worth following, that's the reason to follow is that they're willing to listen to that voice, you know. So, yeah. which is not static. Um, right. So, I think I think that's important to say. I might want to back up to say too that, um, and I will get to like the you know the public part. But as much as I think people have to be able to go on a journey, and so, like I've seen people go through a deconstruction process, and at least to this point, not reconstruct anything. Sure, constructively on their side, I still think it's worth going through because you've got to come, you've got to be honest and authentic with what's happening in your own soul. So I still you know so I don't think it has to necessarily. Uh, turn out a certain way, but I also kind of think that all forms of deconstruction are not created equal. I was right. um, I was speaking at an event a few months ago called Water to Wine for my friend Brian Zahn, and uh, another good friend of mine, Brad Jerzak, was teaching, and he did a brilliant talk on deconstruction where he said something. I've, no, I've not heard anybody else say anything like this, and because I think you know he's definitely. I mean, in, even his own journey, like he grew up charismatic, he's now actually in the Eastern Orthodox Church. So he's certainly been through a kind of deconstruction. Right. But he gave this brilliant talk about how whatever deconstruction is, like what it cannot be or really should not be, he talked about during the Protestant Reformation how there was like the radical wing of the Reformation became iconoclast. And the idea was they were literally so against like any kind of physical images that portrayed anything about God, they literally tore down paintings, destroyed statues, like wow. these treasures that were hundreds, in some cases, thousands of years old, yeah. like that just, just free for all, like we're demolishing everything. Yeah. And he was just talking about how deconstruction should not be and need not be a new form of iconoclasm, right. where it's just like, we're just gonna randomly start tearing stuff down <laughs> on the walls. What was beautiful about it is that he didn't say it like in a like uh, wagging the finger because Jesus won't like it kind of way. His whole point was because deconstruction, like this is about your own soul. Right. Uh, think about the parable of Jesus. You know when Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares, you don't you don't try to pull out the tares now. They're supposed to grow up together because like man, this this is tender. So you've got to sure. like you got to be tender with your own soul. And so sometimes I like I encourage anybody to like fully grapple with the most deep questions of their soul and to follow God wherever they feel like they're led. But I also have to tell people sometimes too, like, but hey, feel free to be patient with this and to be sure. slow. This is your own soul. And like, you can't, absolutely, you know, tear everything up every night. You're not supposed to. Sometimes it just, you know, it takes more time. But like, but to get more directly to your, to your, to your question, uh, I, I mean, I think doing that in public is incredibly complicated. Um, it's been very complicated for me because 
I do think I've been doing that for some time. I do yeah. think I've kind of deconstructed. But, you know, um, and, and I, don't, I don't even think that's ideal. Like, if someone were asking me for advice, I would say, like, man, uh, if, you, if you're in a position where you can go, I don't know, uh, go into a monastery or into the desert for a year and figure <laughs> out your life and your faith, I would encourage people to do that and have the means or the resources Absolutely. or whatever. Most people can't. And in my case, I honestly felt like that wasn't what I was supposed to do. I had this sense that... As much as I've changed, I actually have I felt like my own sense of calling is stronger than it's ever been. Sure. And it's really, I, this sounds so churchy, but like, I think I love Jesus more than I ever have. And probably, weirdly enough, pray more than I ever have. So like, right. I had this impulse that even if some of the stuff I was going through were going to make me look foolish, because you do look kind of foolish when you like publicly change on things. People say, right. well, what, didn't you say this six years ago? Yeah. That like, man, it's not the worst thing to be God's fool in that way. You know, like, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, I think back to the, um, the presidential election, uh, from just a couple of years ago. And here are these politicians, many of them who've been in the, the kind of the public sphere for a number of years. Right. And it was almost pegged, and I remember sitting in my living room watching this and thinking, why Why is this such a bad thing? Mm-hmm. But I remember people saying, are you a flip-flopper? Have right. you changed your opinion? We need right. somebody who's consistent, right? And and people would almost see that as like a, a major negative that somebody had a position over here, and then that position evolved or That's changed. Right. And the reality is, as human beings, believe it or not, mm-hmm. just in the, in the human experience— we change as, right. as we as we grow as we mature, and so I think the reality is is that our culture looks at this as like a negative thing yeah. or a, yeah. a, a struggle for people or, or circumstances or situations. Um, when in reality, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And unfortunately, anybody who finds themselves in the public sphere, right, they aren't seen that way. That's when right. those changes take place. So, yes. in in your mind, um. How how do you encourage guys who are who are sitting around? I know we talked earlier, and you had mentioned that you know you talk to guys all the time yeah. who are on the verge of just walking away or quitting totally. or, or being done with this whole thing. And the reason is because they don't feel like they can talk to anybody. That's they, right. They've got these new thoughts, they've got these new beliefs, they've got this kind of evolved perspective on an issue, and they don't yeah. feel like they can share that with anybody. What's your encouragement to them? Like, how do you how do you encourage guys and challenge guys and? Um, and, and, and advise people who find themselves in the middle of this evolution of faith and don't feel like they can go public with it. Well, my first encouragement is always that, and I do get asked this question a lot, is I, I tend to think that whatever that restlessness is, I think more often than not, it actually is the Holy Spirit. And in the grand scheme of things, at least, it's more likely to be constructive than destructive. So you can't ignore that voice. You can't ignore the restlessness. You can't like... I mean, I think if you try to push that down, then you're going to implode in a really unhealthy way. Yeah. That's the thing. Because one option is that people can just like choose to compartmentalize and turn off, which always ends in disaster. Like it's just like, if you just, you just can't push something like that down. But on the other hand, the encouragement I give on the other side is that I also think these things are not fast. And so especially when right. somebody's on the brink of making a quick decision, I, you know, 100% of the time I'm going to say, hey, 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 let's slow down. Let's give this a little bit more space, a little bit more prayer. Try to connect with some people where you can have the conversation. Um, just try to find some brothers or sisters that are like, you know, the safe space where you can process these things, pray, et cetera. But just not to pull the trigger too quickly uh, because I really think it takes, even after you have a shift on something, it's, it still takes time to discern 
you know, what is God telling me to do with this? Because, you know, now sometimes I think there's no alternative than that you have to leave the system or the structure you come from, that you have to leave the institution, whatever. And hey, if that's what God is is telling somebody to do, I would never try to reel them back in. I mean, the sermon I just preached at Hope City this past Sunday, which has kind of become my my thing for the season. Um, The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, after... Um, they don't yet know Jesus resurrected. They're walking away from Jerusalem, which to me is very much symbolic of they're walking away from the institution because what once was a sacred space where the, you know, this is where the temple is and life is oriented mm-hmm. now feels desecrated because yeah. they've seen Jesus killed there. Right. I think it's synonymous with walking away with God, but yet they have this, we know they have this encounter with Jesus and it's like God walks with them even on the walk away from God. Right. Now, by the end of the story, they're going to come back to Jerusalem. But it's like, um, but I think sometimes people absolutely do have to leave the structure, leave the institution to get to Jesus. So if like that's what you got to do, then of course, you know, I've got nothing but blessing and encouragement with that. But the flip side of that is I think like you don't always know. And sometimes and I, I, I had a conversation with a dear friend yesterday who I would consider a mentor and who I trust, but who is like probably 20 years older than me, but struck and, and female. Uh, uh, but it's struggling kind of a similar place because like um, God has, and she's brilliant, um, but God has like directed her in different ways as leading her. She's changed her mind about some things, but she specifically still feels like God has called her mm. to the same place she's always been, wow. which means she has to speak about this stuff carefully. And right. she know, and now I feel like she's starting to feel the heat of pushback on the other side where people were saying, well, aren't you with us and blah, blah, blah. And she yep. still had to navigate kind of politically because she feels like God has placed her in that context and that it's just not time for her to leave. Some people aren't going to be okay with that, but I'm always going to be very protective of those people too, because I just think like if everybody just kind of goes outside immediately, you know, sometimes people might be called to kind of like that, that edge of the, of the inside in some capacity. And that's like, you know, being a a bridge builder, being in in between and kind of a strategic way in a way that's super uncomfortable, but you know, just maybe where, where God has you. Well, one of the things I'm struggling to discern right now is that, um, and I, I, don't, I don't even know, I'm going to say this vaguely and I don't mean to, but I, I, without knowing entirely what I mean, I know that <laughs> I have such a sense of, I want belonging and I want a sense of tribe and family like where I can feel. But one of the things I'm really struggling with is I think there are some places right now where I could find that and it would be good for me personally. But I feel like what God is doing with me is, is connecting me with a lot of church leaders in particular who are in these in-between spaces. And I think like, okay, if I go over here, a lot of them won't be able to go there and probably aren't supposed to. Right. And so it's like, okay, what if it's part of my calling mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to be more of a free agent? What if I need to be in the wilderness a little bit longer because God's connected me with so many other people yes. in the wilderness? So there are more, in other words, there are more questions at stake than what's going to be the best thing for my own soul personally. It's legitimate to think about how is this going to affect the people around me? And that doesn't mean like, again, making compromises that, you know, that, that are just, that are just unbearable, right. but it's good and right to think through like, okay, well, here's what God's doing with me personally, but here are the people to whom I feel called. Sometimes I just, I just try to really encourage people to really take their time in discerning that process. Cause you yeah. can't figure out stuff that complex overnight. It just doesn't happen. Right. No, I, I, I heard a guy uh, just actually just a couple of weeks ago, make this statement. It was so, so profound and so helpful for me. And it was the higher that leaders go in any organization, institution, um, or, or influence, the higher a leader goes, the less they feel like they have the capacity or the ability to say, I don't know. That's right. Um, yes. And yes. I think that 
that is the encouragement through the, the, the vein of this question that I want to give to church leaders or to any leaders in, in, in any capacity is that it will become more and more difficult for you to say, I don't know, but yeah. it's completely okay absolutely to say, I don't know. And even if you have landed somewhere, but you don't feel like that it would be best for right. the people that you're serving or the people around you because you know they're not there yet or you yes. haven't taken them to that place yet. It's okay to say, look, right. we're not there yet. I don't know. Yeah. And it's okay for me to respond that way or encourage that way. Let me ask you this. Um, I, uh, I mentioned this to you earlier, and it's just a fascinating reality. Um, and this is not really for church leaders or individuals specifically. It's mm-hmm. much more broad than that. But right now in, um, in, in Christian culture, there are really two main lines of thought for those in leadership. Yeah. Um, the first one is is the importance of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the largest Christian conferences in America right now is a conference on leadership that is defined by influence. Right. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Um, and simultaneously, the encouragement that I'm constantly hearing for all Christian leaders everywhere is never stop growing, That's never right. stop developing, right. never stop moving forward in your faith. Yes. Don't don't assume that you can pour into others without having the Lord continue to pour into right. you. Um, what's fascinating about those two realities are I feel like that they work almost as a paradox. Yeah. Um, primarily because for you to have influence. Yeah. Particularly in our culture, there is a requirement for some form or fashion of consistency. Right, right. Right? Um, However, for you to grow in your faith, for you to evolve in your faith, for you to deconstruct some of the things that have been pillars in your faith, um, the consistency goes out the window. Yes. But the moment the consistency goes out the window, you lose influence. Right. Right? right. And so those two things work um, almost at odds against each other. Absolutely. Um, Now, for someone, this is just me being honest, for someone like me, I love hearing guys say, I don't know. Yeah, I too. love hearing me guys too. say, well, I used to think this, but I'm going to be honest right now yeah. after, after what I've experienced, I kind of, I kind of lean towards this. Right. Um, but I don't think that is common yeah. place, particularly in church culture. Oh no. And so, uh, what do you do with a guy who says, I want to have influence, but I want to keep growing right. and I'm not sure how to balance those two things because I know if I keep growing, I'm going to lose influence with yes. the crowd that maybe has followed me up into this yes. point. Well, I mean, my first thought is that I don't think, I don't think it's bad to have influence. I don't, I mean, I'm not even great, but I, I am a leader of some sort. So I guess I have some kind of influence, but I mean, the first thing I'm going to say is like, man, I just, for me, it's very important to disentangle any ideas about influence from your definition of leadership. Cause they're, they're not, they're not <laughs> I think leadership has so much more to do with the kind of person that you are and that you mm-hmm. are becoming who you're formed to be than it is yeah. whether the platform's large, small, growing, shrinking, whatever. Like I, like I kind of, I just feel like the influence thing leads so many negative directions because then it, it can kind of become whatever compromises I have to make so long as it makes my platform bigger and broader and that's right. And, and that's, I, that's the lesson that I'm learning right I now. Don't, I, just, I, don't, I just don't think that's true. I don't think it's ever been true. So like I don't, I pushed back on all that to begin with. Not to mention the fact that I think that Jesus had a word for influence and it was idolatry. Totally. <laughs> it, it, listen, it is. Influence almost always idolatry. I'm glad you put it that way because I, you know, I'll try, I try to tread a little bit softly. Sometimes the truth is like anything around influence is kind of like a doctrine. 
kind of freaks me out at this point because what I see <laughs> happen consistently is that it, it, you can't help but go here. It's like, okay, someone powerful gives me a seat at their table. I love Jesus. That gives me a bigger platform to talk about Jesus. Therefore, God has raised up this person in power. I just think it's so contrary to, uh, to, to Christian spirituality in every way. The influence is just not what we're after. How can it not become idolatry on some level? So again, not that I think to have influence is a bad thing, but to chase after it is just not what we're supposed to be for. And I think, you know, I would want to say as much as I think, and I want to affirm that because I think it's a hard word. People need to hear it. I think if you do deconstruct on any level publicly, are you going to lose some influence? Yes. At least in the short term, even sure. that whatever happens long term, you're yes. There are going to be some people who say we like the old Kanye. <laughs> I don't make Kanye my <laughs> example here, but you hear what I'm saying. Like they kind of like, you're always going to like that. That's going to happen to a point. But I also think that, Culture is changing so rapidly now. Um, I don't know. I, I I think that making some of those sacrifices to go with it, I don't know if that necessarily has to be true forever. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day, and I hope it's okay to bring up a particular name, but like thinking about people more from our, the kind of evangelical church culture that we're used to. Sure. Um, Andy Stanley, man. I'm like, I can t- Andy Stanley is clearly on a journey. I mean, there's the, there's, it's, it's very open. I feel like he's, there are plenty of things that he talked about with great certainty before that he does not talk about with certainty now. Right. And he's publicly asking the questions. I find that both shocking and kind of delightful that someone with, a, with pastoring something that large is willing to still say, I don't know about some things or I haven't landed, but he's doing it. And yeah. while there aren't a lot of examples I can give of that, like kind of in those spaces, I think surely there'll be more because like no matter what size platform a person has, like, yeah, there are people in all kind of tiers of ministry who are still faithfully trying to follow Jesus. That Honestly, when I hear somebody say, like, I don't know or I'm not sure, I know this is not going to be everybody else's response, but I'm always like, oh, man, like, they're really trying to follow Jesus. Look at that. Like, that's a real Christ follower right there. <laughs> Willing to say they don't know? I actually, I actually heard Andy say this uh, just a few weeks ago at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. Um, Andy specifically said, right now, um, in this season, what we do for his kingdom is more important than how popular we are yes. in his kingdom. Yes, that's um, good. And it that's was just really so, it was so good because he was talking about the fact that, um, you know, he's he's recognizing a need for certain conversations that yeah. even he hasn't been willing to have or willing sure. to explore publicly um, that are necessary for um being an influencer in the next generation, reaching people in the next right. generation, making a difference in the hearts and lives of the next generation, which has always been yes. his MO. Yes. And, um, and he was talking about just how specifically important it is to not make our popularity with a particular right. group of people paramount. Right. Right. Um, in, in whatever facet or capacity. And the reality is for a lot of people that may be true in your own sphere of influence that may be true in your own circle that may be true in your own um, situation i'm going to bring up something real quick I didn't give you a warning that I was going to bring it up, but I'm bringing it up anyway, yeah. and then we can cut it out later if uh, if you tell me you okay. want to talk about it. That's uh, helpful. So uh, I, uh, I want to bring up the infamous, uh, you got kicked off campus at Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm okay to bring this up primarily because it was in the public sphere. It was very, um, it's out there. <laughs> uh, so, so, so you were there and, and not to rehash the whole thing, but yeah. you were there for some friends, Johnny Swim. Yeah. And, uh, and because of, 
uh, things that you had said or done or, or relationships that you had had, you got a, like, hey, you you are not allowed to be on campus, and if you're found on campus, you'll be uh, arrested. So anyway, yeah. um, uh, it was interesting. I think a lot of people watched that from the outside looking in going, well, I wonder how this is going to play mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a lot of people don't know about that instance is just the fact that some of the positions that you have taken yeah. uh, cost you influence at a particular institution. Oh, yeah that it has now cost you influence and opportunities to maybe speak in certain churches or go in certain mm-hmm. places yeah. or um, speak into certain people's lives. Um, t- talk to me about that, about what that feels like. Is that, is that almost liberating? Is that a good thing? Is that, is that, is that disappointing or depressing? Like what, where do you land when you realize that, Hey, some of the positions that, that the Lord has drawn me to yeah. um, has cost me. Yeah. Um, is, is that okay with you? Where, where are you at there? The shortest possible answer I could give would be that I think I am okay with it, maybe for the first time, or at least as okay as I can be, was be a qualifier. I'm always I'd always be careful in how I speak about these things because there's a lot of this white men with a reverse persecution complex, and I have none of that. I'm not a victim of no martyr. I'm a, I'm a six foot five white man. Very aware of what you're, goes along with you're that. You're doing you know. just fine. That's right. I'm not under like whatever. But I will say in all honesty, like um, the, I'll put it this way. In terms of job, ministry opportunities the last few years, um, I'd say the amount of money I've lost based on those things has been devastating. Nobody's ever asked me about that like in a public conversation. So I've not said it, but I don't mind yeah. saying it. Like devastating. Sure. And, and definitely you talk about living by faith and how is God good and provide? There's been plenty of this kind of moment. So like, it's a real both and, you know, because I think on the one hand, um, uh, it, I, I have moments where of course I'm scared, uh, yeah. because I mean, I'm 40 years old. I want stability. Like, <laughs> you know, I want retirement. I want to know where I'm going. I mean, like who doesn't want that? And it, I admit sometimes I look over my shoulder, other people have those things and boy, like, man, that must be nice. Or is there something wrong with me that I don't have it? But the flip side of that, and this is what I feel most time these days is honestly, it's also kind of exhilarating. It really is. Like, I haven't chased that. I wasn't right. trying to be like a bet. I mean, the way the Liberty <laughs> thing happened. Um, the, the specific thing that, that pushed me over, Jerry Falwell Jr. had been stumping for Trump about everything forever, but he was making remarks about how uh, calling on white evangelicals to partner directly with Steve Bannon to oust the fake Republicans, and especially with Steve Bannon's tied to, just to like white national moment. Uh, circuits were just exploding my brain. I know a number of people in the Liberty community, they don't feel that way. I, I blab about this on Twitter and I'm thinking about doing some sort of, like trying to lead some kind of very peaceful prayer in action this spring just to connect with some of them. My friends, Evan and Amanda and Johnny Swim, we're gonna be playing there. Amanda tweets something positive about what I said, which as I found out later, Liberty was very upset about because they're scared to death Johnny Swim would say something on the stage, which they didn't, that's not who they are. Right. Um, at any rate, they're like, you should come to our show. So I come to the show, and it's like dual purposes. I'm going to hang out with them, support them. And I was going to connect with some of these folks who I'd been kind of in conversation with about what that might look like for like six months later. Sure. So there were only like 20 of them. And I initially said, let's do it off campus. They, and this turned out to be wrong, were kind of like, oh no, I don't think it'd have to be off campus. We just couldn't do it in a building, like if it's on the quad or something. So right. we're going to have a little prayer gathering. So I tweeted about this, and um, I met, but I met the show. And when it's over, because apparently Jerry Falwell Jr. himself had been very directly monitoring this whole situation, uh, I'm back in the green room with Evan and Amanda, and they send campus police in, ask me to step outside. There are five police officers out there. 
they take my fingerprints, pictures, they give me the warning, you know, if you ever step foot on campus again, we'll, you know, jail and yeah. your fines. It just, I mean, treated me like a criminal. Wouldn't even let me walk to my car. I mean, like they you know, took me off campus. Very demonstrative. And I mean, no, they didn't say, because this is all you have to say, because I wasn't trying to do an arrestable action. All you had to do is say, you can't do this here tomorrow morning. Right. And I wouldn't have done it. I would have, I would have done it off campus. Right. But they turn it into like this very demonstrative, you know, kind of thing. So, sure. but it was interesting because like, and, and I know not everybody's going to agree with this or feel this necessarily. And I don't mean to make it spooky, but even that, I thought like, I could have never imagined that would blow up the way that it did. I couldn't imagine I'm going to be on like every major news outlet or Dr. Dr. Barber's defending me. You were on. in the Atlantic. Oh, totally. The Atl- <laughs> I'm all the way, all the way down. Like That's every major, deal. it was crazy. It was all over. It was in every, like everywhere. <laughs> but I really thought to myself, like, I don't think this is saying too much. Um, when that was all said and done that night, because I mean, we all, we're all Jesus people, you know, like, because it was jarring. I mean, I, sure. honestly, I was at the time, I was kind of, I was, it rattled my nerves badly. Yeah. I'm back at the hotel and Abner hope he wouldn't mind me saying this. And one of the other guys in the band came back from the uh, show to check on me. They were furious about all that and <laughs> made it very known, which is also comical because <laughs> Abner really let them have it when it was happening. It was, it, I knew I liked Johnny Swim. <laughs> well, you know, he's like, you, he's, I, I'll clean it up a little bit. He's like, you bust into my green room in front of my wife and my kid and take my guests out. Of, I mean, he was not happy about this. But they came back and they like laid hands on me and they're like praying in tongues and... That's and there was even a word that night of kind of like how God was going to use all that. Like I, I don't, I'm not going to self, I, I mean, this is not false humility here. Like I'm not a fly worth Jerry Falwell Jr. swatting at. I honestly felt like what happened there, it felt like was like kind of a Holy Spirit thing. And cause, cause my whole deal all along is that I feel like there needs to be a different voice in the public square. I don't want people to think that all Christians think that way because we don't. And I feel like it gave us an opportunity to take that conversation up to another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we're both, we were both had to write uh, editorials for the Religion News Network. You know, Jerry on why kicked me off, me and my kind of take on whatever. I was glad to be able to have that public conversation. And sure. like, you know, so even that, like I felt, so it was just interesting. So has it cost me like in the short term? You're like, sure. But yeah, like it does feel good to follow Jesus kind of on the ledge in this way and to yeah. not know where it's going. And some of it, like I never talk like this and I don't mean to say like I'm doing this perfectly or that like I'm the, the exemplar of this, but this is what I do have in my mind. Some of this stuff where I feel like right now people are going to, you know, if you move in a certain direction or you try to be faithful in a certain way, people are going to say like, Oh man, all the things that you lost and you can't do that and grow a ministry or that's not pragmatic or whatever. Sometimes I also kind of feel like it wasn't pragmatic for Noah to build the ark until the floods came, (laughs) you know? Right. And the world is changing so rapidly right now. I think there's a lot of stuff going on where some of us feel called to move in just in a slightly different direction from what we've known before to where like might still seem kind of insane right now and might pay the price now. But like in terms of where the world's going, like I'm like, I meet so many disenfranchised millennials and younger that are leaving the church. I'm so passionate about being part of a church that they feel like they can come back to and embrace. Yeah. So like yeah. sometimes I want to say to people like, hate on me all you want, but your kids will, will come to my church or right. a church like this. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but you know, like that, that's because, and we're not going to let them walk away from the faith. You want to you know, be on the right side of history. Totally. When it's all said and done. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, uh, I, I'm a Liberty grad. And yeah, so, I forgot that. <laughs> so, so, so uh, I was there when senior was there. Oh yeah. Although, for the record, I don't know that a lot of that rhetoric was much better than maybe some of the current sure, rhetoric. Sure, sure. Um, but one of the things that's fascinating was one of the stories that I'll never forget from being at Liberty is um, when Thomas Rudd and Liberty first started, um, mm-hmm. there were African-American students who came to the church. 
And because of the bylaws and the policies of Thomas Road, which Jerry Falwell founded, mm. he asked those African-Americans to leave. They had to leave, right? And in that moment, he thought he was making a decision that was healthy and good for the sake of the gospel and for yeah. the sake of the church, yeah. right? Um, and talk about being on the wrong side of history mm. in that moment. Right. Um, and so I think that you're exactly right that had Falwell in that moment said, no, 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 come on in. We're going to mm-hmm. be welcoming mm-hmm. um, because God is, is, is doing something in me. And, and for the record, that's absolutely what took place in the life of Jerry Falwell. He mm-hmm. became somebody who God said, hey, you know what? Race doesn't define you. Race doesn't yeah. separate you. Yeah. Um, you're, you're all God's kids. And so um, he was happy to raise up champions for Christ, whether yeah. you were black, white, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I think if in that moment he had said, this is what God's doing in me, it would have cost him. In, totally. in that moment, right. it would have cost him influence. There were white right. people in that church that would have got up and walked out and would have never come back. There are donors that would have quit giving. Mm-hmm. And so the the construction or evolution of a faith, right. um, it does cost you. It, 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 does. it cost someone 70 years ago. It cost you just a couple of years ago or last year yeah. um, with Liberty. I think that in those moments, it's, it, it, it does cost us yes. um, that influence. But as long as influence is not the goal, right. we're okay to lose it. That's right. And and just in those moments. Yeah. And you bring up the example, and I really I want to be careful. I don't, I don't want to make a judgment, but it is something I've thought about a lot. There's no getting around it. Like I, I would have serious disagreements, I'm sure, with Jerry Falwell Sr. on almost everything. And I know about some of the racial stuff, et cetera. But to your point, on in terms of how he changed with some of those things, I think for all the things that I would disagree with him about, I do think fundamentally... Jerry Falwell Sr. cared a lot about scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think there were at least some things in his life, if he could see it in the text, you know, where ultimately he felt like he had to move. And right. part of my concern with, again, I'm not making any judgments about his soul, but like take a Jerry Falwell Jr. is I feel like Falwell Sr. still had a theology that even if it was played out in a healthy direction, there was a robust attempt to try to listen to what God says. Yeah. Even if I think he came to some wrong conclusions. Yeah. I feel like Jerry Falwell Jr. is like, Almost has, and I know he's not a preacher, but almost has no theology except the theology of influence. Like sure. That's all he has. Yeah. He doesn't talk about Jesus. He right. literally, that's not a judgment. He actually doesn't talk about Jesus. <laughs> he very rarely says Jesus' name. He doesn't yeah. talk about, the, I mean, the cross, whatever. I mean, I feel like he, uh, I feel like he's one of those individuals for whom like the appeal and the allure of a certain kind of influence over whatever, like, like, like that has been very defining for him, you sure. know? So like, if that's, if that's where you start with, then there is no, well, if I see it in the text, then I'm going to move. Right. You know? I think that it's more like, well, if I've got influence, then God must be pleased and I'm doing the right thing. No, I totally And agree. I think that's a difference even within those two generations. You Absolutely. Know? So like, I, don't, I don't know how you move on anything. If, because, uh, you know, like, I mean, because there, for example, for all the controversy, and at some point these numbers become public, man. Like, it's crazy how many minority students they've lost there and stuff happening. I feel like it's still a little bit underground. But in the grand scheme of things, the more controversial he's gotten, there have been a lot of like uh, big Trump donors who are only giving more to the school. So I think like by the numbers, it's working. Right. And I, if that becomes your metric, like so long as we've got numbers, it must be working. Keep it up. Well, how, how, right. there, there's no room to hear. If, what, if, what if the Holy Spirit says, I right. want you to do something that's not going to work? The way this has worked, or right. you know, I want you to do something where it is going to be involved. It it, it take it, it means you have to take a hit in some way. I well, I think that that one of the things that I'm learning the more that I allow the Lord to work on me personally is that He actually calls us 
significantly, and I would venture to argue a majority of the time, to ventures of self-sacrifice. Right. Um, and I don't want to make too much of that because I do think that God has an absolute love and passion for our joy yes. um, and, and, and our heart and our fulfillment. But, but simultaneously, you can't get away from the reality that um, the call of Christ is a call to self-sacrifice. Right. Um, you are offering your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's, right. that's holy and pleasing Absolutely. to Him. That's His desire. And, um, and whenever we make it about influence or about how many people we can get to follow us or I better not say that or I better not go there or I better not think that because those people won't be my friends anymore. Right. Then we've kind of stepped away from the calling of Christ Absolutely. originally. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, to your point, one of the um, my fondest memories of Jerry Falwell Sr. at Liberty University was um, towards the end of, of his life. Um, there was a group of LGBT students mm. who um, they were not part of Liberty. They were part of uh, other uh, institutions and universities in the area. And they wanted to come and do a peaceful protest mm. um, on Liberty's campus because of some of the calls to vote and calls to action that mm -hmm. Jerry Sr. had promoted and pushed for, right? Mm. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, this is not going to be good. Like, mm -hmm. we're going we're to see blood in the streets. Like, it's yeah. going to be that kind of thing. And I'll never forget uh, Dr. Falwell standing up in convocation and say, I've heard these students want to come. Not only are they welcome to come, mm. um, but we'd love them to stay for lunch. We'd like to provide them lunch, and we'd love to have a, a dialogue, a conversation mm. with them about our positions and theirs. Because where we find the most difference um, being made in any conversation yeah. is when there's open dialogue and yeah. there's listening. Absolutely. And that is not where he was, but it's where he got to. Sure. And I sure. remember there were a lot of people who said, you're going to let them on the campus. You're going to give them free food. Our, our tuition money is going to pay for mm. their protest and mm -hmm. blah, blah. And so it cost him in that moment. Yeah. But I think Falwell knew that, uh, Falwell Sr. knew that the call of Christ yeah. was going to cost. Like it yeah. was going to be sacrificial in nature. And so, man, I just appreciate your heart. I appreciate your willingness to come and to share and to have these conversations. Um, you you got to know that there's a, a lot of church leaders out there that look to guys like you who have a, a lot of public influence um, mm -hmm. within the framework of the local church, particularly here in, in, in the context of um, Western culture, um, who see a lot of, evolution yeah. um, and see a lot of deconstruction and maybe even a willingness to admit that there's not a lot of reconstruction in place. Sure. Just, sure. just know what's, what's not um, there anymore and what, what walls need to be torn down. Yeah. And um, a lot of people are in the process of going through that same sanctification where we say, we see yeah. the spirit moving in his life. I want the spirit to move in my life like mm -hmm. that. And then as that happens, it becomes painful and difficult because of the position or posture that they're in. And so I just appreciate you being willing to come and kind of share your thoughts, share your heart, mm -hmm. and offer some encouragement to anybody who would take the time to watch mm -hmm. this. I don't have a huge platform, but for anybody who would take the time to watch this or listen, um, I know that it means a lot to them. So I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I love, I feel like you're raising all the right questions. I think it's a conversation we're kind of all kind of living into. Last thing I'd say about any of that, just, you know, is that I think I'm far enough through my own deconstruction process to where there's some things I do know. A lot I don't know. More that I don't know. But the things I do know is that, you know, I know for one that I have no interest in getting beyond Jesus or the Jesus story. I feel like it's much more central and animating to my life than it's ever been, actually. Maybe all the more because I don't feel like now it's, um, it's externally dictated. Right. You know, it's not about, I am such a people pleaser to an actual fault. I need everybody to like me. Man, it's been hard 
to lose some friends and relationships and to, and not respond to certain kind of criticism, just kind of let that be. And you know, it's like, if, if I hate using those words, but if some of the folks I was around before were very traditional and I at first found myself getting shot at there, now I'm very much at a time where I feel like, you know, there are plenty of people who don't feel like I'm progressive enough and you're gonna get that too. <laughs> and that's, it's never fun. Right. But man, I just feel like the, the level of trust and dependence that's produced, like in Jesus in particular, I just keep feeling like I'm seeing these glimpses now for the first time of what the new thing is that's being built. And I don't even know exactly how to articulate it, but it, it's beautiful. I think there, there is life on the other side. You know, it really yeah. isn't just about like tearing things down. I think there's a, there's, there's a new sound that's coming up and there are uh, new forms and new expressions. And you know, it's like, even if I feel like I'm just starting to glimpse that, I'm seeing God just do some really, really extraordinary things. Yeah. And, it make, and it has me feeling very hopeful. For all the stuff in the world that discourages me right now, and it's there are a legion of things that discourage me. Everywhere I go, I'm meeting such kingdom-minded people who aren't willing to sell their soul, you know, for the sake of growing a platform. Like, man, they're in, in, in communities following Jesus faithfully, the best they know how, and grappling with these things, you know? Yeah. So I just see a lot of really wonderful stuff that does actually have me feeling oddly more motivated than I've ever been about the kingdom of God. And... Even how I understand like the, the, the gospel of Christ. Like I'm more yeah. passionate about those things, not less. So I just I just say that as encouragement because I think some people just sort of assume that if they allow this certain kind of soul unraveling, if they allow themselves to ask certain kind of questions, well, maybe I won't make it out. Right. And I just want to say like, you know, actually sometimes you do. And I feel like more often than not, you come through with a faith that's much more robust and real and experiential and grounded than what you have, like you said before, because it sanctifies you. It's, I mean, how else can God cut us free from our bondage to likes and retweets and pats on the back or something, unless we go through a phase, you know, right. where we get that kind of pushback, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it really is like, it's not even just like a, uh, something about the afterlife. I think sometimes with that sort of, I hate to call it persecution, but you know what I mean? It really is blessed. Right. Because like it, it re it rewires your soul sure. to not be so contingent on people's approval all the time. Right. You know, and I think that's like that's 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 the only kind of freedom there is. I just want to encourage people that that freedom does exist and that there is life and beauty on the other side. Absolutely, man. I'm I'm I personally have never been more encouraged about um the opportunity before the church of Jesus. Yeah. Um than than ever before. Mm. I uh, I look back on generations prior to mine, and there was all this emphasis on justification, justification, justification. Mm -hmm. um, let's just let's just let's reel them in, reel them in, reel them in. It was so big on um, let's get people saved, get people saved, get people right. saved. And then I watched so many of my friends and family who kind of went through that process never experience the joy of allowing the spirit to kind of unravel their yes. soul and yes. work in them and rewire them from the inside out. And I think one of the things that I'm, I'm watching take place among church leaders now and subsequently uh, parishioners who follow those church leaders are just an emphasis on the sanctification of the spirit, right. allowing God's right. spirit to move and work. And it's not just about a moment that you had 20 years yeah. ago, but it's about what God's continuing to teach you and show you and shape you. And you don't just, well, I'm on this side now right. because I joined That's this right. team, That's right. but I, I'm allowing God's spirit to move and work in me in such a way yes. that, that I'm kind of, I'm needling my way through every side That's because right. there are people on both sides that desperately need the love of the Heavenly Father. Absolutely. And so I, um, 
I'm, I'm personally really encouraged, and it's so encouraging to hear you talk about it, to hear you um, offer those same words, those same sentiments and encouragements. And so thanks for the time. Thanks oh, for giving thank us the chance the to be here. I love the shirt. I got it. Uh, got to give it up for, for our boy Los. Yes, and yes. what those guys are doing. So give them a quick plug real quick. Carlos Rodriguez, happysunship.com. Or is the website Happy Givers for the merchandise, maybe? I'm not sure. I think you it's type a, in happy, happy something, you'll happy find Happy Sunship it. slash Happy Givers. Because there's lots of different versions of this. Yep. So, and I get I get compliments everywhere I go. You know, this uh, it's And it's beautiful because every dollar you spend directly goes to support their work in Puerto Rico now, which is awesome. Absolutely. So definitely worth checking out. I had the privilege of being in Puerto Rico just a few weeks ago, and uh, it's amazing the, uh, the the scope, the magnitude of the work that's needed oh, there, yes. and the fact that you can make a difference in the hearts and lives of people there. Right. Um, I wear some cool merch here. Absolutely. Cool thing. Yes, so, yes. Thanks for, uh, for coming and hanging out with us, bro. Thanks for having me. So good to be here. You guys have a good one. Thank you for listening today. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. To support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and help us keep this podcast going. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. Have a good day.